with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Nightmare. Good afternoon, good evening, good whatever. Welcome to Ghost Chronicles uh, International. That's where we are. Right here on uh, Tojinet Radio. I am Ron Colt, your host. And with me, as usual, the gold standard in ghost hunting, Mr. Steve Parsons. Good evening. Is it evening there? It's actually late at night. Mm. I hear you got a little bit of snow. Yeah, it was a bit of a novelty. It's gone now, mostly. Mm. But uh, it doesn't happen very often here. Um, once every... For five years or so, if we're really? lucky, it's because of our coastal location, and we've got a mountain range immediately um, adjacent to us. So, if we get anything from the north and east, it's blocked by the mountains, and anything from the south and west melts because of the sea. Oh, do they tax it? They should do, shouldn't they? <laughs> Probably should. You know, people will get it; they get taxing. But anyway, uh, so uh, before we, we, we uh, I think it was last week, the week before we sent out, uh, we answered a question or something, and we asked if anybody had any questions, and they sent a couple in, and then we're going to address them in this uh, show. But um, I had something uh, unusual happen uh, Saturday night. I did an event, a public event with Rock Newswicker, so let me started off right there it was a public event and as part of the public event uh i was demonstrating uh various pieces of broken tech um you know the, the famous things from ghost from ghost uh, hunters so uh one of the things that i did use was the hack shack or shack hack or whatever the hell it is i know the one yes the, the broken one. yes the broken radio uh, so for those who don't know what it is, it's basically a AM FM transistor radio that has been, is it a transistor? I don't think it's, is it? Yeah, it well, uh, no, 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 it's not. It's a digital, no. um, chip. yeah, digital now. Imagine that. Do they even make transistors anymore? There is one company making them in India using, um, it's the world's last analog transistor radio. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. Anyway. All right. So anyways, uh, so we had this broken AM FM Radio Shack. God bless Radio Shack. Why they ever went out of business, I'll never know. Uh, radio. And you and I both have our opinions on, on it, what we think of it. But we both had some interesting experiences with it. And uh, so this night, anyway, demonstrated. Didn't have a lot of time, of course. Uh, so we were sitting down and it's doing his usual thing. And, you know, you get these voices, ah, ah, ooh, ooh, ah, ooh, all these quick voices that go jumping through. And uh, I forget what the exact questions were, but basically after this, there was a spirit that wanted to talk to us and a big yes came through. 
And it, it, the interesting thing about it was uh, it was a, a deep voice. It wasn't one of these quick little things. It was yes. And it was clear and deep. So I said, okay. So we started asking a series of questions. Uh, and basically this through the radio, uh, the radio said that this spirit, and that's what he, we asked if it was a spirit and that's what it was. But anyways, um, said he wanted to uh wanted our help actually he wanted somebody's help but we asked him who and he came up with the name uh dick and <laughs> i know i know <laughs> yeah which is shot for richard by the way and uh the next one that came to was scott so oh, it was right right in the row mary then no uh so as it turns out one of the participants in the group was richard scott so this spirit who called himself Gilbert through the radio once again, um, said that he was killed in 1955 by a group of teenagers who robbed him and dumped his body into Portsmouth Harbor. And uh, the, so, you know, I mean, that's, like I said, we only had a short period of time, but we, we did get these things, information. Now the person he was talking to was actually an ex-cop. So it made sense in a lot of different reasons. And, and the, the most intriguing thing about the whole thing to me is not so much the, the points that, you know, it's the guy's name, you know, da, da, but every time this voice came through, or there were other voices came popping through, but this particular voice, just very clear, very Earl Ray, you know, uh, Earl Jones, Ray Jones, you know, that deep dark, deep voice and clear as a bell came through on each of those times. That That's what I found interesting. So, I mean, what's your thoughts on it? Just for curious. Well, I didn't, uh, well I didn't hear it, but. Um... I know, I know. And, and, and I did record it because like I said, it was just a public event. You don't really think anything. Well, yeah, I understand. Um, weird stuff happens. It mm -hmm. did happen once before at Portsmouth Harbour Lighthouse. Um, where the voice was distinctly different than the radio back chatter. But that was, although it wasn't recorded, that was listened to in real time by a U.S. Coast Guard um, officer who was uh, a radio communication specialist. And he said afterwards that it sounded like a responsive uh, communication. Um and that in the absence of anything else, he considered it was responding, the voice uh, was responding to the questions that were being asked. So there you go. I mean, when you make it, you and I don't have a lot of faith in this, this particular device. Oh, but, you know, maybe, maybe there are some spirits up near Portsmouth that can have learnt the, uh, the skills of um, communication by broken radio. <laughs> we, can't say, we can't say that they're not. I know, I know. That's the funny part about it. You know, but, like, I mean, the the questions I had when you were telling me the account were, um, and of course I condensed that. Yeah, I didn't go to yeah, any yeah, detail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what, yeah. But I mean, by how did you discern the name? Did he? Did the name say my name is Gilbert? No, it, it, as you know, that the radio very seldom gives you sense. exactly. Gives so, you, yeah, you know, you are in the area where. It potentially quite a few people may have known about a genuine case that took place. 
Um, certainly, you know, there are people there who have well versed in the local history. Mm-hmm. So it depends on how the questions were phrased. Yeah. You know, are are you Gilbert who was murdered and thrown into the harbour? No. Yes. No, that's, no, no, that was. That no, but was I, mean, not, I was yeah. using I was using an example. Right. Exactly. I, I understand. Um, I, I did. I whereas for, yeah. who are you, Gilbert? Yes. Did you die? Yes. How thrown into harbour? When? You know, 1955. Is, or, yeah. Well, so you see, there are the. There are lots of questions that, that, that need to be addressed. Mm-hmm. But on a public investigation where it happens spontaneously, um, it's it's a very difficult situation to suddenly switch mode from public entertainer to paranormal investigator. I know. It's, it's, it was just, Even yeah. though you are a paranormal investigator, it's, you know, oh, I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, the rest of the uh, evening's entertainment is cancelled while I deal with this genuine phenomena doesn't go down well with the crowds yeah it's it's you know i I, when this particular i mean event i always give my opinion of the equipment and i my opinion of most of the equipment is really not uh very Uh, you know the old saying never say never yeah so i you know i'm i didn't really push anything or anything but you know they were excited but uh, whatever but like I said, it was it was just a, an interesting event. And uh, oddly enough, and we'll have to I'll have to add this because of the, the truth of the whole thing is that uh, when people started arriving, uh, you know, I was downstairs by myself and this uh, party of four came in. And they said, we're here for a Roxy's event. And I said, oh, OK. Yeah. And I said, my name's Ron Kolak. And, and the gentleman says, I know, I recognize your voice. I says, you do? He says, yeah, I listen to Ghost Chronicles. Oh, well, said, there we are. That's nice. I, I said, I'm sorry. Uh, and there we were. Uh, yeah, I always apologize as well. Yeah. <laughs> but the the thing was, this was actually the same guy. His name was uh, Richard Scott. So I'm going to give a shout out to Richard Scott, and I want to thank him for attending the event. And thank you for providing us with this little bit of interesting information. Well, you know, you can't leave it there. No. No, because now you've, you, the rest of the listeners don't know, was there actually a murder that took place in 1955 when a group uh, of teenagers threw a gentleman into the Portsmouth Harbour? I have started to find, uh, dig into that, and there has been some bodies found in, in 1955 in Portsmouth Harbour. I haven't got into the full details. Because you, of- you, you've got it. I mean... <laughs> Tune in next week and we'll find out whether it was true. Well, it may take a little longer than that. We have to might have to go through microfish and try to find out where it is. But there's uh, we have to go to the antrenum and and a lot of stuff. There's a lot. It's not like you just jump on. Yeah, the but I mean, internet. it's one way of testing the information that you're getting. Yes, absolutely. I agree. No, I totally agree. Um, the 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 key points for me was knowing the guy's name, uh, which was interesting. Uh, and also the way the voice came through. Those are the, the things that well, intrigued, that was, me, that intrigued me the most. Well, that was the very distinct difference in the voice that we had at Portsmouth Lighthouse. Um, was it was very, very different from the background radio chatter. And wasn't yeah. chopping and breaking like the background radio chatter. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so that's the same thing. So, yeah. There we are. 
So we're to take it for whatever it's worth. Uh, you know, that's it, all you can do. I mean, we. Yeah. It, there isn't a recording because it wasn't possible or feasible. Nope. Um, so it is what it is. And can you ever, you know, you've got that little nugget of information that you can look at. Yeah, we. I intend to. Um, I, I get. Roxy is but, a good researcher. She'll she'll do the research. But whether you know. Anyway, moving on. The funny part about it, and, and you're going to laugh at this talk about synchronicity or whatever you want to call it, is the group that I had prior to that one, we recorded the session. So there were recorders there? Yeah, I was a guy recorded on his telephone. Uh, he, he wanted to for his own uh, edification, so he, he recorded it. But this particular one, uh, you know, primarily because I don't have much faith in the the you know, I mean, maybe the lesson, maybe the takeaway from this is that record even the public events. Then. I think so. I think ordinarily, so. you don't. I, no. I, I, you know, neither of us do, um, because that's not the aim. The aim is to show the people the techniques that are used. I, well, yeah. To entertain, but you're showing the, the techniques that are used. Right. Um, but, you know, older and wiser. We've both learned that lesson. In fact, I always do now have a, a recorder running if I... I mean, it's simple enough to do. I just don't... You just That's something you really, you know, you really don't well, expect. Well, yeah, you know, when you're dealing with a group of people, you know, it's... Things get overlooked. You know, you go into host mode mm -hmm. rather than investigator mode. Yeah, it can be... It, it happens. We're human. And when you when I go back and look at it, some of the the most... Interesting. You, you're going to say something that every investigator will now tell you they they know. It always catches you when you're not expecting it, when you're setting up, packing up, going to the bathroom, or all sitting around drinking coffee and saying nothing's happened. Yeah, well, I wasn't even going to go there because I was going to say that most of the interesting things that have happened to me haven't been on a real investigation, but more of oh. a public, public event where... Uh, I wasn't no. really looking for ghosts or anything. I mean, I, in my own mind, which, you know, I look back now and I always begin, the father always gets a long doubt way you. back. You have more doubts. Uh, but the, the three times I believe I saw uh, a phenomena that I could not explain, a person uh, or, a, or a dog, and they were not there. Uh, three times and that's all happened when I wasn't, you know, just doing a public event or uh, whatever. And, uh, and, and another uh, experience at uh, Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse with the lighthouse, I mean, with the flashlight uh, that came out of nowhere, uh, it was also one, one of the more interesting things um, that I have had. Well, there you go. I mean, when you least expect it. Yeah, I think you're right on that. So. Setting up, packing up, having your break. But... Yeah, I fortunately, <laughs> touch wood, um, the public investigations, um, that's been the only real time, uh, was it for Portsmouth Harbour Lighthouse? Mm. But then oh, I don't do that many public investigations, you know, anymore. Well, you used to. You used to. I thought I was doing one recently, but, mm. you know. Yeah. I mean, and you have. I mean, you've talked about that before in the in the in the schoolhouse and 
when you you just oh, came yeah. in, you, things happen and and you weren't do it, but you you learned your lesson and you started recording immediately. I believe if that's the story right over my mix of them up. That's no, that's right, and that's how we got the recording of yeah. the um, footsteps, or what sounds like footsteps, um, because we we realized fairly quickly that there was uh, a pattern that it mm-hmm. was more likely to happen when we were doing setting up. And, um, you know, we, we, so we, we hatched a plan um, to, ru- to rush in and at least get some equipment running. You know, it was running before we went into the building and it was just a case of quickly deploy it and then go about our normal routines. Mm-hmm. And on that occasion, which I think is the only occasion, we got lucky. Yeah, lucky you are. Good one or the other. <laughs> anyway, all right. So I'm gonna let that go, and uh, I promised on the show that we would address some of these uh, correspondence that we have been receiving. And uh, what I'll do is I'll read it since I got it in front of me, and uh, you can make your comments because uh, I believe the first one is addressed to you, anyways. Well, it might be better to do looking at the we've got 10 minutes, it might be better to do them in reverse order. That'll give me the opportunity to address the second one first. Well, in that case, we, we'll, we can chit chat for a while rather than we'll handle these on the way back. Then I have no problem. Oh, oh, we, oh that. whichever whichever you want to do, it's just I was gonna, you know, one was long, one was short, so I was gonna give them commensurate amount of time. Right, we'll, we'll address it on the way back. When we come back, we'll address the, the two emails, um, or the messages. Um, so anyways, I, I, I just happened to be reading through some of the uh, uh, feeds, and, and you know how they somehow, you know, you, you click on something at one time, and then they, they address you. So I always get the, the weird stuff on my computer now. And uh, the latest one is now that mermaids are real, and the government is covering it up. So there you go. Oh, I'm glad. We don't want lots of freezing cold naked mermaids around our coastline so if the government are covering them up that's that's all to the better <laughs> that was a little pun that was cute well you know it's been cold here today <laughs> i would i would think if if they existed that the government would protect them more than cover them up i mean we they just well, closed I mean, down the cape cod canal to let three whales go through so well, I mean, there is, uh, in the case of um, our favourite um, lock monster, yes. uh, there is there is official government protection for Nessie. Uh, it was um, pa- uh, passed through the Scottish Parliament, um, ratified by the UK government, must be about 20 years ago now, that makes it illegal to hunt or kill or trap or... Um, do anything untoward to the Loch Ness monster. Mm. Yeah, it's it's you know I mean there's so many cool things happening, and I think it's a lot of it has to do with the increase in technology. And so uh, I just we just had a you know uh, you know pretty interesting news about the pyramids where they found that tunnel. Did you see that one? I I did. I haven't read the detail of it, but I've seen. Yeah, I I haven't either, but. I saw some of the video from it and everything, but I, I didn't get into detail on it. Uh, is this a is this a whole new um, passageway, or is it? Or yeah, it's a, gone, new, it's a or new passageway. Further beyond one that they were, because there was one that they were struggling. They 
They yeah. got partway, hadn't they? And they want then they hit a small yeah, door. Yeah, came across the door. Yeah, yeah. I remember that one, but that was a little passageway. This is a, a pretty big passageway. Well, it's a it's a pretty bit. I mean, I've never seen it, but it's a pretty big building. So I imagine that it would be fairly. I mean, it's not groundbreaking that they found yet another passageway inside the pyramid, be given the sheer scale of the pyramid. Yeah. Um, but it is interesting that they have found another one because yeah, but they, they never found anything in it, which is, you know, kind of disappointing in a way that we know of. Uh, you know, there are well, many artifacts yeah, coming out of it. Well, we don't know what the purposes are um, of it. So it's a landing thing for UFOs. Well, maybe it's just a walkway to so they can exit, you know, like so they can go down to um, TSA and baggage claim and all that. Yeah. Just a yeah. corridor. Yeah, that's all it is. But, you know, because man couldn't possibly build that by himself. We all know that. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, you know, it's amazing. I, I watched a documentary on uh, Standing Stone. And, of course, uh, the UK has a, a lot of it. We have a few. Stonehenge and and some and it's amazing on the some of the size of these stones that are actually carved. I mean, we go all the way back to I believe it's Babylon, uh, the city is it the city of Babylon, well the Babylonian Empire, one of the cities that are not, and there's there's two uh, the the two largest stones in the world that are carved, and they're part of a. Uh, uh, construction a, a a unit there. I don't know what it, what it is a temple or something, but there's just like two. I mean, enormous uh, that we would have a difficult time moving today, and yet they're laid side by side, neatly in place inside well, this. Yeah, temple. I mean, we we would have difficulty because we would use um, a crane, yeah, or hydraulic lifting, mm-hmm. or you know, that's what the Romans did, right? Well, they had cranes. Yeah, um, that's what I said. That's what the Romans did. They had cranes. They built the Colosseum that way. But super cranes. What they had was lots of people. Yeah. You know, and if you combine lots of people, they can lift a lot of weight mm-hmm. or move a lot of weight rather. Um, right. And they were ingenious. They had they they understood levers. They understood rollers. Um, they understood. You know, the 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 similar principles of moving things around. In fact, they were probably better at moving things around than 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 we are today because we resort to big pieces of equipment to do the heavy lifting for us. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas they didn't have that luxury, so they used the same principles, but their heavy lifting was probably supplied by manpower. Yeah, uh, they just had an example of that in uh, either Massachusetts or Connecticut, up here in New England anyways, where they had an old barn, a huge, humongous barn, but the foundation was crumbling on it. And so they basically got the whole town together and they, they raised it, this barn, mm-hmm. not without cranes or anything, just on levers and put it, put it on like these little rolls and rolled it off and then built this new foundation they rolled it back on, and, and when they rolled it up, they rolled it up. You gotta love this. They rolled it up on ice, so they it slid lovely on the ice, and they mm-hmm. just left it there. And then the ice melted, and it just settled right down on top of the foundation. <laughs> Brilliant. No no equipment at all. Just old fashioned. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean that that just demonstrates the ingenuity of man, doesn't it? Yeah. 
It's fantastic. I mean, bond raising here in the States is, is you know, very common back in the day. Uh, the community would get together and they would put these whole bonds together just with, uh, you know, the regular hand tools, no cranes or anything else. Yeah, actually, I, I don't think I've ever, um, just thinking then, I don't think I've ever heard an archaeologist put forward that idea of using ice. Which strikes me as odd. Well, I wouldn't. I don't think it would work too good in Egypt. Uh, no, but it would work pretty well in the UK for moving big blo uh, blocks of stone. Around. Yes, it would. Yes, it would. So, um, who knows? Maybe that was a technique. You know, I, I said that about Egypt, but believe it or not, the Sahara Desert actually gets snow. It does. It does. Yeah, um, it and the Egyptians did use ice. They they had. Um, or they knew of ice, and they did. Yeah. They they had, um, you know, right through even the medieval period, they mm -hmm. did have uh, ice storage. You know, they could store ice uh, right. gathered during the winter right through the year. Mm -hmm. um, so you know that technology or that the um, the use of ice, well, although it's very unlikely in Egypt um, because of the sheer quantity you would need. Right. Um, you know, maybe that's how they moved Stonehenge around. Could have. I don't, I've never, I, I don't think tell. I've ever heard an archaeologist suggest that, which is interesting. Yeah, it's unusual. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I, I, I when they, I heard it on the news, I said, I was like, oh, that's such a cool idea. And it makes sense, too. Absolutely makes sense. And not only is it, does the, the bond slide easily on it because it's all ice, but, and then it just let it melt and it just drops itself down. I'm sure it's, they had some guidance to it, but uh, it just drops down on the foundation. Well, they, they would have they would have used a small alien craft, probably like a, a helicopter, just to sort of steer it. <laughs> they didn't have to. They, they a lot back in the in, in the United States, moving houses was was pretty common. Uh, um, it still is, isn't it? It, it happened uh, not, here not occasionally. Not so much. Not they, so much. They relocated a, a lighthouse. Yes, um, twice. The south, on the south coast, yeah. Every time the cliffs fall down, they keep moving this lighthouse back. Yeah, it's in the Cape, yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, it happens occasionally. It's it's, mm -hmm. it's technically feasible. Yeah. And it's a mechanism that's that's well understood. And there, was, there used to be a series on one of the Discovery-type channels of these companies that used to move houses around. Yeah. Well... We are coming up to the break, so we're going to have to take a, a short break and uh, wrap this up. And when we come back, we'll answer those uh, correspondence we received. So you're listening to Ghost Chronicles International with Steve Parsons and Ron Kolick right here on Tojanet Radio, brought to you by uh, good friends on Ghost Chronicles Radio on Patreon. And we just added a new Patreon video exclusively for our Patreon members. You too can become a member for a mere $3 a month, less in the UK, as I find out. Uh, so anyways, uh, we'll be right back after the following messages uh, with your letters.
Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. Do you have a paranormal event, book, or something else you want people to know about? Then why not advertise it on Ghost Chronicles Radio? With over 150,000 downloads a month, get your message out to an audience that's interested in the subject. We have a plan at a cost that fits your needs. For more information, contact Ron Kolick at anyghostproject at comcast.net or call 978 978- Four five five six six seven eight. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk ugly kooky, the Parrax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parrax family. They're strange, deranged. So grab your favorite brew, it's time to rendezvous, as we give awards to the Parrax family. And welcome back to the second half of the first half of tonight's Two Hour Ghost Chronicles. Doubleheader. This is the international edition with your host, New England's own Van Helsing. And over here in not snowy Wales anymore, the gold standard. Yeah. And as it's International Women's Day, I'd just like to um, wish all international women um, the very best and hope they had a lovely day. Yeah. Don't know any international women, but I hope they had a lovely day anyway. You know, I almost I had this uh, this picture. It's uh, a bunch of uh, naked women that are painted with international uh, flags on them that I was going to post my page, but I didn't know if it would be in good at taste or not. No, I I yeah. I've got into trouble before on International Women's Day. Yeah. Wish, wishing them, you know, all the yeah. best. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I'll, just I'll to you. They just get offended. Yeah, everybody does nowadays, unfortunately. But it is what it is. Right, read the first question. Okay, this is actually for you. Uh, I am an amateur ghost hunter of a skeptical mindset in the UK, uh, which is your neck of the woods, who has been listening to Ghost Chronicles International for a few weeks now. We should <clears throat> apologize at this point. Yes, we should. I discovered it after joining the SPR and the ASSAP and reading the books about ghost hunting by the most reverend Steve Parsons, which eventually led me to your show. See, you're famous. That's two apologies I owe him. Oh, that's the apologies? Okay. Anyways, uh, one thing Steve mentioned, uh, spent... <clears throat> One thing Steve has spent a lot of time talking about is the use of the EMF meters by ghost investigators. And in particular, the fact that they never measure frequency information relating to an EMF spike, only the amplitude. As someone who attends ghost hunting events whenever I can, 
I have seen the K2 meter and other similar devices used in the exact way. Good view. On a recent episode of the show, I heard Steve mention that he is currently working with an engineer on a device that would measure an EMF frequency uh, information so that investigators can use this to figure out the source of the signal emission. This email is really to say that I believe I have a similar device actually already, and it exists on the market and have been using it uh, since last year. Okay. It, I've got to scroll. That's where it takes me down. The uh, G it's either Go or GQ. I can't make it out. I think it's GQ. GQ Electronics EMF 390 detector is designed to use, uh, yeah, designed to use in the home and acts as a trial feed tri-field meter displaying amplitude, uh, measuring EMF, EF, and RF fields, but importantly, it can measure the frequency of which the detection signal displays on screen that estimates the source of the signal. For example, things that can be detected uh, and displayed include phone, Wi-Fi, power line, cell tower, microwave. I tested it. Uh, extensively at home upon acquiring it. And I wonder how much this little baby cost. Upon found it a reliable device and have since, uh, and have since understanding the local environment at a location. I don't know what that means. I have even begun trying obvious debunking uh, the beliefs of some of those who are use, oh, using the other EMF babies. Uh, device. It's a lot of reading for me, you know that, right? <laughs> well, I hand it in English. Yeah, I know it's terrible. Uh, the device also has a built-in spectrum analyzer mode too. So even though the device can't go uh, so far as to identify a particular radio signal, for example, there is sufficient data to assist the investigator in figuring out. It's, whew, it's a lot of talking. As far as I am aware of, this is the only device in the market that does all of this and i am the only ghost hunter in the world that is using it it is reasonably affordable and highly recommended its use uh and i highly recommend its use uh for those interested in these things and i would uh, encourage mr parsons to have a look at one and see what he thinks many regards that's an english thing many regards many regards ben wilson well Thank you, Ben. Um, Thank God and, I can breathe. And after uh, receiving your your uh, email, I did yes. um, I did take your advice. I turned around. I opened the Parascience uh, kit kit zoo bag, mm -hmm. uh, where there is in fact a GQ EMF three ninety um, that's been acquired that was acquired pre lockdown. Um, because of the because of the specifications, because it might be um, a, a useful device, um, and we tested it fairly extensively. The reason I didn't recommend it earlier is is twofold. Uh, firstly, the detection range of um, the sensors that they can detect from. 10 megahertz, I'm doing this from memory, 10 yeah. megahertz to about uh, the top end of about two and a half gigahertz, which is a big, a big sweep. Yes, it is. 
um, and they have a measurable range which starts at 50 hertz, uh, 50 megahertz. Um, they're, they're the measuring ranges for the RF sensors, not the separate EM sensor electromagnetic sensor mm -hmm. um, or electric field sensor in, in reality. So it can actually detect a 50 hertz mains uh, or 60 hertz mains electric field, um, but it can't make it produce the amplitude to that. Um, so for amplitude measure, uh, for frequency measurements, it, the measuring range begins at 50 megahertz, which is much further up. It's, it's actually at the bottom end of the VHF band. And then it goes right through uh, the VHF, uh, broadcast VHF, um, up through airband and off into Wi-Fi and 3G, 4G, 5G uh, Wi-Fi signals. Um, and microwave ovens are in there as well. Um, it's, it's cheap. It's affordable. Uh, it's certainly more affordable than many of these crazy ghost detector devices. No, God bless us, yeah. Currently on Amazon, I had a look today, it's about £114. It's cheaper on the US Amazon because it's made, it, well, it's designed and marketed by GQ Electronics, which is an American company. Mm -hmm. uh, originally, they were set up to uh, market, um, and they still do a large portion of their business, is manufacturing Geiger counters um, for um, home use and primarily for education use, so for schools, colleges. Right. Um, they design it, then they have all the circuits and bits and pieces manufactured in China, then shipped back, assembled, cases put on, and um, etc. One of the, the biggest selling route actually is through Amazon these days, although they do have their own website. Um, unfortunately, um, before before continuing, I've got to just uh, address two other points. Ben, you're not unfortunately not not the first in the UK. Um, there are at least two other paranormal teams that I'm aware of that are using these uh, EMF 390s. Uh, and there's quite a few, there's there's a handful in America also um, that have been using them since they first came out, which I think was 2018. Um, we got ours 2019 um, off Amazon. Uh, it was about £96 back then. Um, and it's it's by far the best of all of the tri-fields um, and by far the best of all of the should we say the the affordable tech mm -hmm. there's uh, there's a company called Aronia uh, which is double a r-o-n-i-a of course yeah uh, they manufacture a range of devices uh, primarily for industry there's the NF5010 and the one we have, the NF5030. And that does have uh, the ability to display frequency and amplitude simultaneously uh, and with the same spectrum anal um, analysis. Going back to the, 30, the 390, uh, which is the, I think they're in the V2, the version two of it now as well. Um, the spectrum analyzer that Ben talks about is is quite a narrow band. Uh, I think it gives about two megahertz um, frequency spread, so you can you can use it quite finely um, for analyzing things like Wi-Fi signals or um, such like, and it will actually give you a fairly precise frequency. 
Right. The device I was talking about um, is slightly different, similar size. In fact, at one point we were looking at a similar case um, to, to put it into. Carpet shape. Um, sorry? Carpet shape? Yeah, no, no. <laughs> Pack a card shape. Um, <laughs> because 50 megahertz, as, as I said earlier, is up in the in the VHF band. It's just into the VHF band. Now, many investigators are already aware of the problems of Wi-Fi cell phones, um, the local uh, FM broadcast stations, um, and such like. And they, they those signals are, are quite easy, easy to detect their presence. I mean, if you want to know if if your if uh, the local FM broadcast station is blasting through your haunted location and you know, it's just as easy to demonstrate by putting on an FM radio. Um, likewise, you know, Wi-Fi, you can you can do that with with a smartphone. It will tell you all yeah. of the Wi-Fi signals. Exactly. So it's it's giving you some useful information, and it's actually fairly accurate um, information. So the measurements it gives are are usably accurate. They're not. They're not industrially accurate, but they are accurate. Uh, I think the the margin error is plus or minus ten percent um, for some of the for some of the range, and uh, at worst it's plus or minus twenty five percent for some of the frequencies. Oh. Now I might be a few percent out here and there because I haven't looked at the specification sheet for R three ninety for a long time. Um, what I was looking at though is a much more powerful radio transmitter that does crisscross the world. I mean, if you're literally in the middle of um, the Blue Ridge Mountains, or if you are in the middle of the Scottish Mountains, there is still a radio transmitter um, or radio transmitters that are more than capable of upsetting something like a K2 or an ELF meter. And these are the frequencies that are basically uh, from 0, 0.0, so, you know, tens of hertz, so below the mains frequency, uh, up up to about 30 megahertz. Now, as I said earlier, the 390 doesn't begin to start measuring till 50, although it can detect down to 10. Um, and what you what with what we're, I'm referring to, of course, are the, the the very powerful short wave transmitters, long wave transmitters, medium wave radio transmitters, but particularly the short wave. Uh, for example, things like the BBC's World Service, uh, the Chinese broadcast systems, and some of the most powerful in the world are owned by um, Christian evangelist transmitting. Mm -hmm. uh, organizations based in the united states with transmission sites all over the world and by varying the frequency of these megawatt transmitters they can hit every spot on the globe um and they they change frequency by day and night to because they they rely on the uh changing ionosphere 
So they will switch frequency bands uh, by day and by night. That's why you get a lot more AM radio signals, say, from South America or Latin America coming through at night because the ionosphere allows that to take place. Mm -hmm. So I was looking at a system of, uh, because we know from using our um, Aronia system that one of the um, most likely candidates for um, causing upset to a K2 and make the lights flash is, well, <laughs> um, when we pinpointed the frequency, it was actually in our case, it was the BBC World, Tra uh, World Service transmitter at Droitwich, which was 220-something miles away from the site we were at at the time. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was, it must be possible to, to detect and measure these um, and to show the frequencies because that frequency is the DNA. Um, and certainly, um, you know, we're getting closer, actually. Uh, but there is recently a commercial device that might do it, um, which I'm waiting to get hold of to test before um, before I you know, point people at it and tell, suggest that they spend money because they'll only blame me. <laughs> um, but, you know, in the absence of anything else, if you've got $100, $100 um, get a 390. You're not going to go far wrong. Take Ben's advice. It's very good advice. Yeah. I mean, the, the EDI well, meter was close to over that, actually. Uh, no, no, it wasn't. The EDI into, oh, in, in, in terms price of price. Wise. Dollar, price. Yeah, price. Well, the EDI, too, now is over $500. Yeah, there you go. See. So, you know, you could get five of these. Mm. Um, and bear in mind, use it to, within the manufacturer's specifications, which means that you will get very good, accurate measurements of um, the gigahertz frequency band rather than the megahertz frequency band. That's where the inaccuracies come in. Mm -hmm. um, I've got some, I've got some uh, photographs I took when, when we took the casings off ours which show the antennas that they're printed onto the circuit board. Um, oh, wow. sort of wiggly lines of um, PCB track um, to act as the antennas, but they're accurate. You know, they're, they're better than pretty well anything else on the market. So well done to Ben for, for, and thank you for making, uh, for, you know, bringing the question because it allowed us to talk about it. Yeah. And it allows us to give out some good information for yeah. people that yeah. just don't want to use them as a talking device, uh, digital dowsing device, I guess. Uh, but well, I, I think actually use them for what they're supposed to be for. I'm not entirely sure uh, whether, because there is, there's actually a range of these EMF meters made by GQ. There's a 360 or 370. Mm-hmm. Don't know if there's a 380, but I do know there's been a th uh, two models of 390. Um, now, the 390, I don't recall it having a speaker, but I think one of them did. So you could actually, uh -oh. um, you, you, you wouldn't get, you know, um, FM quality audio out of it, mm -hmm. but you would, you would certainly know that, it was a radio station or it was uh, you know, the bleeps and squawks of a data link communication. Oh, sure. 
you know, one thing that we overlook in, in a lot of uh, paranormal investigation, not, not necessarily you and I, but uh, uh, a lot of people in general will overlook atmospheric conditions, and especially in, in an audio, because uh, I'm sure this is covered in paraacoustic, but the, the weather conditions uh, make a big difference on how sound is carried in, in various environments. Well, absolutely. Um, I mean, I live under the flight path for the transatlantic flights, mm-hmm. and um, we have a gunnery range nearby. And, it, you know, depending on the cloud cover, depending on the cloud exactly. thickness, depending on the temperature, depending on the direction of the wind even, you would have, you know, some nights it sounds like half the American Air Force is flying over the house en route to Eastern Europe, when in actual fact it's just a, you know, a Delta Airlines flight going to London. But because of the sound bouncing between the atmospheric layers and the the cloud, mm-hmm. um, you know, it can sound really quite loud. Yeah, it's it's a very simple thing. Is at my house, uh, uh, Lowell uh, is a few miles away from me. They have a train that runs through the town. Uh, we never hear it. Uh, but the cloud covers right. Uh, we can hear that mm-hmm. uh, train. We can hear its horn and so forth. So I know that, like, oh, we're in for a storm or, or whatever because the cloud mm-hmm. covers really low. Or everything. But intriguing stuff. I I love this. There's so many aspects involved in what well, we cer- do. Certainly, monitoring the weather um, and the uh, ex- you know the weather conditions is mentioned in well, it's in ghostology and in the SPR. I would imagine, yeah. yeah. All right, so let's move on to our next question. And this one comes from Elaine Curtis. It says, hi, uh, you recently asked if there were any topics people were interested in listening to. Somebody actually does listen to the show, see? Uh, you, both, uh, you both can discuss. Uh, can I put forward a proposal for a discussion on research? And I think I brought this up, actually. Uh, aimed at enthusiasts who may have a topic of research, but don't know how or where to start and who need help in finding their way. The outcome of the research, uh, which may take some years to complete, with, uh, will be written. But again, it'll be worth hearing how this process works. Okay, so I, they're basically peer review, I guess. Uh, for academics, this process may be easier with the backing of needing it for a PhD, etc. But for an enthusiast, uh, what opening might they, they use uh, to garner some responses? Uh, should, uh, should you be an academic carrying out this research or uh, is there another avenue for a proper enthusiastics? with mindset of collaborating data. Okay. Um, well, the, it's, 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 it's actually a very interesting question and mm-hmm. uh, comes back to a problem that does face the investigating community. Uh, how, how do they get their uh, research projects published and yep. Taken, yep. taken seriously? Uh, you know, how do they gain the credibility for the work that they're doing? Uh, how do they get it reviewed, peer reviewed uh, and, and, you know, disseminated? 
um, you know, to to others who want to uh, see the results of their work. Mm-hmm. Um, back in the day, it used to be incredibly, uh, incredibly difficult because you would have to. Um, well, the way parascience did it is you would have to join an organization like the Society for Psychical Research, and then you would have to submit um, your research to the journal uh, where it is peer reviewed by, well, it's not even peer reviewed because these people are not, you know, they these are academics, so they're not uh, field investigators. So it's not a jury of your peers. Um, and they will come back with comments and then you will rewrite it and then you will submit it and eventually you'll get it published. But it's actually slightly easier now to disseminate your research um, by setting up a web page, um, not a social media page. <laughs> Although you can link it to your social media page if you choose. Uh, you can then place your research online. Um <laughs> And you can you can um, show all of the steps that you've made. And Parascience used to do this all of the time. We would disc- um, you know, lay out our case research, how we reached the conclusions, what we did, uh, the methods we used, you know, the, the, the basic scientific principle. Mm-hmm. And by doing it that way, um, you you at least have the opportunity to, um, when questioned you can direct people to the relevant page dealing with you know, that particular topic. In fact, I still, I still use uh, the Parascience website in exactly that way. When people are discussing infrasound or, or you know, other um, EMF meters or orbs, um, you know, those articles, that research that was done um, was placed online and is, is, is more accessible than uh, many journals are because many of the journals, of course, are are intended for members or are locked away behind a kind of a paywall, an academic paywall. Mm-hmm. So I would I would I would say um, to Elaine and to anybody else who wants to promote their research, um, then to do it that way to basically write it up. Um, in a in a in as serious you can write it as a proposal um, and then you can you can do like a continuing series of um, additions to the website as you progress through the experiments and through the research you can update it um, and you can you can draw people's attention to the updates using the social media uh, rather than putting it on social media Right. Where, you know, there are, um, I mean, first of all, it's likely to get lost and people don't tend to take social media postings as seriously. Um, so you can, you can, <laughs> you can cleverly use um, the media, but I would also suggest that uh, when, when the project is completed, orga- an organisation with a slightly more open door policy such as ASAP, ASAP, which you, we mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, if you and it, um, it, you know, as a member, which is um, 
I think it's about five pound per annum is the uh, lowest membership fee. Hmm. Um, you can you can submit your research to them for their journal. Um, it will it will undergo a peer review. Uh, the peer review process by them is likely to um, be more in line with the um you know a lot of the reviews are done by a panel who are experienced investigators and less less of them are academics i nearly said less academic uh-huh. uh, fewer fewer academics and more more field investigators all right steve we have to wrap it up unfortunately so so that's answered hopefully both questions although if there's I, any follow-up, i think it has if you need uh, any more information, uh, you can uh, message us again and we'll get, make sure you get it. Anyways, you've been listening to Ghost Chronicles um, International right here on Tojanet with Steve Parsons and Ron Kolick. And we want to thank our listeners for submitting these questions. Uh, if you have one, please send it to us either on our uh, page, our Facebook page, or message, uh, email me at neghostproject uh, at comcast.net. That's N E ghostproject at comcast.net and uh, stay tuned for Ghost Chronicles Next Generation. Good night. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.